This podcast is rooted in a singular dream to aid our culture's growth by fostering collective education, encouraging open discussion, and most importantly, nurturing and inspiring new generations of my transgender siblings. Here's to a transer future. When Sophie Kozub was growing up, she often felt out of place. She was a legacy student in an all-boys Catholic school, a longtime Boy Scout, lined up with the boys when she knew she should be in line with other girls. Though she found subtle ways to transgress the confines of her prescribed roles in high school, it wasn't until college that she truly allowed herself to break from masculinity. As she rode through the uncertain waters of her gender, she tried on a number of labels to find one that worked for her, increasingly thriving as she did. As she prepared to leave the queer utopia of college, Sophie was unexpectedly named her class's valedictorian and was featured in a New York Times article on trans New Yorkers. Sophie is kinder, wiser, and more insightful than many her age. She is powerfully candid with her story and speaks of her experience with a level of insight that has and will continue to touch the lives of many. This is Sophie Kozub on why it's okay to take your time. Hi, Sophie. How are you doing today? Good. How are you, Ariel? I'm doing well. Um, Welcome to the podcast. I'm really excited to have you here. Why don't you start off by telling us a little bit about yourself? Sure, sure. So my name's Sophie. I am 22, and I identify as both trans and bi-gender. So I use she, her, and they, them pronouns interchangeably. I've been publicly out since April of last year, and I am from New Jersey. My home state represent... (laughs) Um, Cool. So you mentioned uh, that you identify as trans and bi-gender, and I know uh, that you just added bi-gender to your social profiles recently. So I'm wondering sort of about your journey through gender and how you found labels that worked for you and also what bi-gender specifically means to you, because I know that's a label that can kind of mean a couple of different things to a couple of different people. Sure, sure. Yeah. So my gender journey. See, I was born on a stormy Thursday in August. <laughs> no. Um, <laughs> um, so yeah, so I guess a good thing to start with what by gender means to me. So as I take by gender to mean in my experience, it means that there are often times when I'll feel as if I'm experiencing two gender identities simultaneously, which may sound a little strange, but it's like, it very much makes sense to me. And it's not in like a feeling of like, oh, I'm getting pulled and torn between these two different identities. But it's almost as if I am like, holding these two halves of myself simultaneously. And for me, those two genders tend to be like, kind of a conventional binary womanhood, if you will, and then kind of a more non-binary identity those two things, it's kind of like they both live in me simultaneously and they don't contradict each other. Forgive me if that entirely didn't follow because um, this is honestly something that I've just started re-articulating about my identity. And I say that because I had known that, like I knew I wasn't cis like my whole life, but 
I only really started grasping that there were trans people <laughs> in the world and I might be one of them in and around like my junior year of high school, which to give you a sense, like I said, my age, but I only graduated from college last year. So that wasn't too long ago in the grand scheme of things. And by that time I was like 16. So I was like 16 years old when I like finally started being like, oh, like I, I might be trans. But granted that by the time I reached college, I had only ever interacted with like one, two, or maybe three trans people in my life total. And none of them were people who were like actively in my life. It was kind of when I re went to college, it was suddenly like, so I grew up and now live again in suburban New Jersey. And I went to college in Manhattan and kind of very much fitting the foil of what you would expect going to college in Manhattan would be like, I was very suddenly inundated with a lot new vocabulary in terms and ways to think about my gender identity and were was suddenly surrounded by a lot more queer people and people who either identified as non-binary or trans or some other gender expansive identity. And it was around, I want to say the end of my freshman year and the beginning of my sophomore year when I started like really actively searching for terms and being like, okay, I'm not cis, but what is the correct term out here to describe me? And as any <laughs> budding queer person does, or maybe it's just me, I don't know. <laughs> um, I spend nights and nights just Googling up like websites of like different gender identity terms and just reading through. Like, I am pages. familiar with that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And just reading through like web page after web page of like wiki articles of like, what does non-binary mean? What does genderqueer mean? Like so on and so forth. And in that search, I came across the term bigender. And at that time, I kind of took it to be a, have a similar meaning to what I just said, like kind of this feeling of like where it feels like I sometimes experience two gender identity simultaneously. I first started telling friends, like a very close group of friends that I had in college, sometime around my sophomore year where I said like, hey, like I'm not cis and like I found this term and like I think that I am bi-gender. And that went over really well. Like they're all super supportive in that group. I tried out using they, them pronouns and kind of a more androgynous version of my dead name. And I was like, okay, like this is interesting. Like we're just testing the waters here. Like this is just a small group of people. But then in the beginning of my junior year of college, I took this step to coming out to a much larger group of my peers and I didn't get any negative responses. Like they were all very supportive, but just kind of, I, my college was on the smaller side. So it suddenly started feeling like it was out of my control. It was very much like, oh, okay. Like they use they, them pronouns now. They want to be called this. And it was like, at that point, I still felt that I was very much trying to figure out exactly what I was. And I didn't entirely feel like I had the answers to a lot of the questions that people were throwing my way. And so I kind of retreated a bit. Um, and then for the next year and a half, kind of went back to fully 
I want to say, like kind of living in the closet, like even though it was now out there as knowledge among quite a few of my peers that I wasn't cis, I fully went back to just using like the non-androgynous form of my dead name, using only he, him pronouns, and went along that way until January of my senior year when I started kind of re-coming out to people as a trans woman and started using she, her pronouns and chose the name Sophie. And then four months later, I came out as a trans woman and that felt really right at the time. It was only kind of recently, really in the past month or so, when I started kind of reconnecting with and re-articulating this bi-gender part of my experience because I was feeling as I kind of continued to live my life out and openly as a trans woman, it still felt that there was a part of my identity that I was kind of leaving out that I wasn't fully acknowledging yet. So that's where we are now. That was a lot. <laughs> no, yeah. That, I mean, that was wonderful. Thank you for going so in-depth. Um, and I think you bring up a really interesting point that a lot of transgender people struggle with, a lot of cisgender people even struggle with, That is, that gender is a journey, right? Like it's not this one thing that we experience at this one moment in time. It's necessarily, it's not this moment where you say, okay, this is what I am. This is exactly the label that has worked for me my entire life. And now I'm just sharing this with the world. It is a constant journey of exploration and looking inward and figuring out labels that work for you. And what I find really cool about what you did is a lot of folks understand, hear this label by this prefix by right. and they think man and woman and for a long time the bisexual community has been challenging that been saying no like it has different definitions a lot of folks identify it as self and other a lot of people identify it as women and non-binary people and i think it's really cool that you are sharing that you use by gender to capture feeling identifying as a woman and also simultaneously identifying as non-binary and I think it's beautiful that you've been able to allow yourself to continue that journey even after coming out so I know you came out on social media a about a year ago, is that correct? Yep, yep. April 21st of last year. <laughs> so I'm curious, Um, you shared a little bit about what led up to that, but I'm curious what has changed in the year since other than finding your bi-gender label? Sure, so it's been interesting. Like I said, like I only really started coming, like re-coming out as a trans woman as opposed to just bi-gender or any other gender expansive identity I was kind of floating in my head um, in January of that year. So only about like four months beforehand. And after I came out as trans, it was really interesting because I came out right at the end of my senior year, but with still enough time left to kind of get to experience being supported and affirmed by my friends who I made over the last four years and some of the professors who I'd grown really close with. So it was really cool to kind of get that jumping off point. But then it was very interesting because right after I graduated from college, I went back to living at home in suburban New Jersey. And my town, it's like my town isn't conservative like we very consistently vote blue but it's also not a town where it's like 
I have a lot of memories walking around when I was little and seeing like visibly queer people around. So there is very much this feeling of like, oh my gosh, like I just spent these few months, like in weeks in New York City, like really coming into my own to the point where I could feel like I could walk into the women's section of like H&M and just kind of go clothes shopping and really not feel self-conscious about it at all. And then it was like, the moment it was really hit me, it was like three or four days after I'd moved home and I was with my parents at our local Target. And I don't know, it was like, I just saw a lot of like straight couples walking around and it was just almost as if like my stomach for some combination of reasons just like dropped and I suddenly just had this thing of like, oh my gosh, like what I kind of built up in my mind, like I'm not in this like queer coming out utopia anymore like college really is that for a lot of people yeah and it was this feeling like oh my gosh like I'm home now and even though I have supportive parents I'm gonna have to like put a lot more effort and energy into kind of being openly myself around here and that kind of fed into me kind of feeling like like not really seeing my hometown as my hometown, like kind of being like, okay, I'm just here for a few months and then I'm going to move into the city. And then I just like, don't have to think about this again. And I feel like in the year now that I've been living at home, that feeling has kind of diminished and I've kind of felt more like, okay, like this place for all my life, except the four years when I went to college has been my home. And like, I deserve to feel at home in the town where I grew up. I feel like that resolve has kind of played into me feeling more, I guess, confident and more self-assured in my identity because it feels now less dependent on kind of the environment and space I'm in and more dependent on like, hey, like I am, it, it makes me feel better because it's like, hey, I'm not like gonna compromise or curtail like my transness just because of the town I am living in at the current moment. I think that's really beautiful. And I also, I absolutely love the piece that you wrote a few months ago about being a transgender teenager at an all-boys Catholic school. Uh, yes. First, yeah, it was, it was so well done, so vulnerable and beautiful. And a story that I, I imagine a lot of people can resonate with. I'm curious if you can share a bit about your perspective on that experience and hindsight and how having had that experience brought you to where you are today. Sure, sure. <laughs> um, so for context, um, I went to public school all the way up from kindergarten through eighth grade. And then for high school, I went to a local all-boys Catholic private school, mainly because the educational opportunities I would get there would have been better and were better than what I would have gotten at the public high school I would have gone to. And also because I was also going to be a legacy, like my older brother was already going there and my dad and all three of his brothers went there. So it was kind of like, there's never any question that I would go there. As soon as I was aware of the concept of high school growing up, I knew that like, okay, I'm going to wind up at this high school someday. But yeah, so where to, what to say? Um, <laughs> I'm like trying to think of like good parts of it to mention, but I mean, yeah, like, like I said, even though I kind of had an awareness, like a general awareness 
throughout most of my life that I like wasn't cis and that there was like something separating me deep down from me and a lot of the guys I was around. And I really started viscerally feeling that like the summer between fifth and sixth grade. But like I said, it wasn't until my junior year of high school when I really started to think like, oh, like I might be trans, like these feelings I'm feeling like other people feel this way. And like there is a possible world and future in which I may be able to embrace this side of myself. But in that high school, I very much like by the time I graduated, I was just very jaded. And not all of that had to do with the kind of internal battle I was having with my gender identity. Some of it came from like, like, for example, I'm not Catholic. I was raised Episcopal, which is very similar to Catholicism, but different enough that I still kind of felt excluded from the religious life of the school, which was like very prominent. Like we had a monthly mandatory mass in the school gymnasium that everyone had to attend. And just these kind of feelings of like not knowing where I fit in, like it was... It was like all of the typical like trying to fit in and trying to like find your space in high school stuff on top of additional levels of like thinking to myself at night like am I even a guy? (laughs) So (laughs) it was there. Yeah. But yeah, I mean it's it's been interesting because I've gone back and forth a lot where I'll have moments where I try to reconcile with my past in my life there and try to like make peace with it and acknowledge the good things because like there were some like fantastic teachers I had there and like opportunities that I had a result of going there that I just like would not have had if I hadn't gone to school there, which I was and still am very grateful for. But at the same time, it feels like in the years since then, I have had to do a lot of unpacking and unlearning of a lot of ways in which I had kind of learned to act by being in that environment, whether it was kind of the kinds of people I chose to associate myself with, or just more fundamentally, like the ways in which I expressed myself and kind of navigated the world. And I feel that like that led up to now in that like, like the really interesting thing was that Upon coming out and afterwards, I felt a lot more connected with my past and a lot kinder towards my past, including my time in high school, than I had before I came out. Can you explain a little bit more about what you mean by that? Sure. So when I went to college, there was very much this kind of like, like, you know, when you go to college and there's very much the feeling of like, no one wants to hear you talk too much about high school, like whether it was good or bad, like it's kind of like, okay, like we're, we're in college now, like, (laughs) like it's time to move on from high school. I very much followed into that. And that was very much something that was like kind of directly said, whether it was kind of even by like the president of my university and like the welcome speech of kind of like, like you're not in high school anymore. Like, move on from that. And when I heard all that, like it felt very liberating to me at first, because when I started college and moved away to college, like I was very much feeling like I want to totally get away from who I was before. I don't want anything to do with 
the things I was involved with before, like kind of like I want to, I don't want to say totally reinvent myself, but it was just like, I want to get away from everything in my past. But over time, that kind of left me feeling like I just didn't have a past at all because rather than kind of being like, okay, yeah, there are some good things about high school. I just kind of really hung on to the parts that had really hurt me or made me really angry and jaded and just kind of threw the baby out with the bathwater. So up to senior year, when I started like coming out to people in earnest ahead of coming out in April of last year, I felt like totally disconnected from my past. Like I felt like I, and I, as a result, I feel like I didn't really know who I entirely was. And then upon coming out, I feel like that forced me to kind of look back and kind of evaluate a lot of experiences I had had throughout my life. I mean, obviously one's about gender, but like in doing that kind of just in general, and it made me feel like, oh yeah, like, I have a past. I'm not just this kind of person who flew in on the breeze and landed in Manhattan and everything. I think that's really beautiful. Thank you. <laughs> and I want to I want to circle back a little bit here because um, I know right after you came out, you were named your college's valedictorian, <laughs> and then right after that, you were featured in a New York Times piece <laughs> on Trans New Yorkers. Um, these are just like two super visible. <laughs> ways to be visible right after coming out. And I know it can, coming out can be dynamic. It can be tumultuous. It's a lot already. I'm curious to hear in what ways it affected your experience to be on both of those physical or metaphorical stages in such a short time after coming out. Yeah, yeah. So it was it was very weird. So it was like, I want to say around the end of March, I had kind of resolved myself that I wanted to come out publicly before I graduated, mainly because of what I said before, like I wanted to be able to experience in person being my fullest self out publicly with the friends that I had made over the past four years. And I didn't want it to be where I graduated and then like two or three months down the line, I came out online and then all of these people who I had been close with for the past four years would be like, wait, what? So I had, I had resolved that already. And then it was like the week before I was planning on coming out, I got a call from one of the deans who I was like close with. And, but he had like no idea <laughs> that I was about to come out as trans. Um, he calls me up and goes like, hey, I want to let you know, like, we'd like you to have, like, this special role in the graduation ceremony because you are, like, valedictorian of the college class. And I was just like, okay. <laughs> I was like, this has just made things a lot more interesting. Um, because, like, even though, like, my grades were good, it wasn't that it caught me out of nowhere, but I wasn't, like, sitting there thinking, like, oh, I'm, like, I'm definitely, or, like, I'm probably going to be the valedictorian. So, like... It, it wasn't it, like you'd been like gunning for valedictorian for four years and then like we're like, yes, I got it. It was just kind of like, yes, I have good grades. Oh, wow, I'm valedictorian. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So when that got it added to the mix, I was like, okay, what do we do now? But um, it was like I, soon after that, like I, of course, called my parents and they both knew about my plan to like come out before the end of the year. 
And already by then, like a few minutes later, I was already like, yeah, like I'm, I am still coming out. Like I am not, <laughs> I am not like changing my plans at all because of this thing. Like if anything, like this has redoubled my desire to come out before the end of the year. So that happened. Um, <laughs> and it was, it was interesting because a good friend of mine who was, actually and mentor of mine who I met in high school who was actually the one who put me in touch with Sarah McBride the like trans activist she was the first openly trans person to speak at a major party convention in 2016 i met her back in 2014 and that was not coincidentally the same time at which that i started realizing like oh i might be trans but this mentor connected me with her without knowing any of that. It was totally just happened that way. And so I reconnected with this friend and just said like, hey, I want you to know how much of an impact you've had on my life in ways that you like probably had no idea of at all. And him being rather connected um, started kind of putting word out to some major news organizations to like see if they could like gin up some like media attention around me being a trans college valedictorian. Someone from CNN reached out to me about possibly interviewing me and like coming to and reporting on my graduation ceremony. But I, I turned it down because at that point, I was like, I'm really proud of what I've accomplished. I'm proud to be here as an out trans person, but like, I don't want my graduation and I don't want me to become kind of like a media spectacle kind of. I just wasn't ready just yet to be that publicly out. That speaks really strongly to how self-aware you are too, which I think is really awesome. Thank you. Um, but I was like, I wasn't ready to be that publicly out in a way to like deal with being reported on in a national publication and kind of the possible backlash that could come from that. <laughs> because it's like, one of my main areas of research and that I worked on in some of my internships in college was like online harassment and everything. And I was a journalism major. So I was like acutely aware more than the average person of like what can happen to someone who belongs to a marginalized identity group if they are like very public about themselves. And I just, I was not ready yet to deal with what I was like fearing in my mind could possibly happen um, if I put myself out there like that. So I graduated with no reporters there and had a great day. And then it was really funny because it was like right around when I was graduating, the New York Times put out this like digital survey project for Pride Month. And it was like this thing where in a sentence starting with I am, and you had like 10 or 12 words, I think it was 10 words. And you put in like, I am so-and-so. And it generated like this cute little graphic you could share on social media and you would put it out online. And so mine was something along the lines of like, I am a proud transgender, bisexual, Eagle Scout, and breakfast lover. And I just submitted that response. I posted the cute graphic on my Twitter and Instagram, and like I just never really thought of it again. And then I was in my home, in my bedroom, playing 
video games like in the beginning of June. So like two or three weeks after I had graduated and I get this email from a New York Times editor being like, hey, we really loved your response to this survey. Would you be interested in being a part of this profile series? And I was like, (laughs) excuse me. Um, And they're like, yeah, like, you'll be a part of it. Like, we'll do a little mini profile on you. Like, um, you'll meet up with one of our photographers and they'll photograph you for the story. And I was just like, what on earth? Like, the the thing that I, I tell a lot of people is it was like, I, up until I graduated, I was very dead set on pursuing a, a career in journalism. Like, ever since, like, I started high school, I was like, I want to be a journalist. And I always had this dream of being like, wouldn't it be cool if I got into like the New York Times by the time I was 21? Um, (laughs) But of course, meant it in the way of like having something I had written being in the New York Times. And here (laughs) I was like three months out from turning 22 And it's like, hey, do you want to be in the New York Times? And that was the thing, like, when I started telling people about it, I'm like, you know, I got into the New York Times by the time I was 21, but this is not how I imagined it happening. Um, Hey, take the win, though. (laughs) Honestly. And I feel I said yes to that because I wasn't the main focus of the article. So there was kind of that comfort in numbers. It also, at that point, just having been out for a few more weeks even... I feel just kind of gave me more of the feeling like, yeah, I am, I am ready to start telling my story in a more public way. Yeah. And so you mentioned that you initially had wanted to be a journalist after college, and then you pivoted to uh, being a digital campaigner for Every Town for Gun Safety. Is that correct? Yes, that is correct. Yeah. So that is one of the leading organizations working to end gun violence in America. And when talking about identity, I think it's really important to focus on the way different parts of our identity intersect. And specifically for you, as someone who is both an advocate for trans representation and an advocate working to end gun violence, I'm curious how those identities intersect. And also if you feel like being trans gives you a unique perspective on the epidemic of gun violence in our country. Sure. So I'll start with the first question you asked. And yeah, it was very much this thing. It was entering kind of more advocacy was very new to me because like ever since I was a teenager, I felt aware of like certain social justice issues that I cared about, whether it was like LGBTQ rights or like a women's right to choose. Being in being pro-choice in an all-boys Catholic school is interesting. Um, <laughs> that's a story for another episode. Um, but yeah, and when I was pursuing journalism, I very much like had this very like traditionalist mindset where it's like, I can't give my opinion on anything. Like I am an objective reporter. So then pivoting and doing like advocacy was kind of a bit new to me, but I feel like, especially in college, as I started making more friends and started educating myself more on social justice issues. And at the same time, starting to navigate and articulate my feelings about my gender identity. I always had this like feeling in the back of my mind that was like, when I come out, I want to use my transness and my gender identity as 
a way to affect positive change. Like I want it to be my, like, I guess kind of like my superpower almost. I mean, that was the thing. It was like when I first, so first I was a summer intern for every town just to kind of see how I liked it. And then I became a full-time campaigner in October. It was really cool because within a month of being hired full-time as a campaigner, I got to write and be the signer on our national campaign email for Trans Day of Remembrance. It was just a really interesting moment to kind of take into stock like, yeah, like I'm not just here and I'm existing openly as a trans person, but like I am using that identity and acknowledge how that identity kind of plays into the work I am doing. I'm very lucky to work with a lot of people who are either very strong allies or people who are in the queer community themselves. And it's just, I'm trying to think of the best way to articulate this, but it's, I mean, of course- I think you're doing a great job articulating it. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) I feel like on a basic level, of course, like being trans and seeing reports of like trans women of color being murdered, of course, makes reading those reports feel a lot more visceral. But at the same time, it's like, I still do notice my privilege as a white trans person and someone who's uh, also kind of financially well off. Like the experience of a trans person of color is not my experience as well. I am, I am very aware of that privilege that I hold in everything. But at the same time, it's kind of leaning into and realizing my transness kind of makes me feel like, okay, like I am in a position here of influence where I can help be a part of affecting change on addressing societal injustices and everything that make this a reality where other trans people living in the same country as me are facing an epidemic of gun violence against themselves. Yeah, I think that's a really great way of framing it. Thanks. Um, <laughs> I was like, I don't, even, I don't know where to end this thought at. But you're totally good. Thank you. So, Sophie, thank you so much for your time today. Um, do you have anything else that you'd like to share with the audience before <sighs> we sign off? Hmm. Yeah, I feel like the main things I'd say are, and I feel like these are things you hear from a lot of other queer people about their experiences. But I feel like big things are like it's okay to take time, like figuring these things out. (laughs) I feel like one of the biggest things I've had, and that's now been on my mind slightly since I've started to rearticulate the bi-gender part of my identity, is this feeling as like every time you discover a new thing about your identity that you have to like, have like a whole new coming out event around it or like have this whole like more deep discussions about it and everything. And it's like, if if that works for you and if that helps you in your experience, like that's great. But I also think it's important to acknowledge that the typical big kind of coming out announcement is not and should not be prescriptive of anyone in the queer community of whatever their identity is. Like you should come out and articulate it in the spaces and in the ways that make you feel comfortable and that make you feel happy and that you shouldn't feel pressure to tell your coming out 
story or narrative in a way to meet someone else's expectations. I think that's beautiful. Thank you. And really, really important for queer folks to hear. Because um, like you're saying, I think so often there's this like prescribed narrative of what a coming out has to be, what your journey has to look like. And more often than not, that's really not the case. And it doesn't have to be the same for everyone. Thank you, Sophie. And before we sign off, do you have any social media handles or any projects that you'd like to plug? I don't really have any projects I'd like to plug. Well, I guess there is my essay <laughs> that I wrote, um, which is on Medium. What's it called? The Line on the Right. It'll make sense once you read it. And like Ariel said before, it's about my experience at my all-boys Catholic high school. And yeah, y'all should read that. It's on Medium. It's also on my Twitter and on my Instagram. It's also fantastic. Thank you. Um, but yeah, if you want to follow me on Twitter, um, my handle is at K-O underscore Z-U-B. It's my last name. Thank you so much for having me, Ariel. This has been great. Awesome. It's been lovely. It's been so nice having you. Thank you so much for being my first interview. Of course. That's all for today, folks. Don't forget to subscribe to and review this podcast so you can stay up to date on the latest episodes. If you feel inclined to support this work financially, you can head to patreon.com slash trans and caffeinated. You can follow my personal accounts on Twitter and Instagram at Ariel R. Gordon, and you can follow at Trans and Caffeinated on Instagram and Facebook. I'll see you in two weeks on the next episode of Trans and Caffeinated. <laughs>